Hello and welcome again to episode 5 of the Global Migration Podcast. This podcast is available thanks to the support of UBC Center for Migration Studies. This episode is titled Stories of Disruption. To talk more about this topic and more, I am joined today by Malena Mohovi-Kova. Malena came to Vancouver as a refugee from St. Petersburg in Russia. Only thinking of this city makes me very cold. She came here in 2012 with her family. Right now, she is a student of psychology at Douglas College. She loves to write, and in a bit, we will hear from her and you will know why. She also enjoys to draw and to hike in her free time. Malena is an advocate for mental health and she works towards one day becoming a clinician herself to support other people overcome trauma. Malena, welcome, and we are very happy you are joining us today on the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. In the start, I'd like for you to read for us part of your writing, maybe 500 to 600 words to introduce yourself in your own words, and then we can have a conversation together. I was born and grew up in the cold and beautiful St. Petersburg, Russia. I came to Canada as a refugee seven years ago as a result of racial attacks, discrimination, and the fear of persecution. My mama, Natalia Mohavikova, is a Russian Jew, and my papa, Mohsen Mohavikov, is Afghan. Having a biracial family is dangerous in Russia, as the country holds a very narrow-minded idea of what their citizens should be like. We did not fit into that box, and as a result, were forced to endure racial attacks over the years from white supremacist groups, the police, and the mafia. My parents did their best to shelter me and my siblings from it by sending me to a private Jewish school when I turned eight. Before that, I was still a victim of physical and emotional abuse in preschools I went to. One teacher ordered other children to hold me down and beat me up. And when we switched schools, another physically assaulted me and told me it's a massage. I felt nothing but shame coming home to my parents with new bruises every day because I felt like I deserved it. However, the abuse did not exist solely outside of home. Growing up in Afghanistan, Papa served in the military, protecting his country when he was younger. As a result, he developed PTSD. At home, he would get periods of angry or reckless behavior and would let it out on Mama. Papa would regularly get into arguments with her, and it would often result in Mama tucking us in with bruises on her face and neck. It would happen so often, I used to think she had some kind of skin condition where her face swells up and changes color on its own. My brother, Mamun, who was 13 years older than me, saw what my mama did and started practicing it on Milana, my younger sister and I. The first seven years I could remember were filled with physical, emotional, and sexual abuse and shame. I never complained about anything that was happening to me or my family. I thought that was what everyone went through, but just did not talk about. A major turning point in my family's life was when Mamun came back beaten up with his hair, eyebrows, and eyelashes shaved, and a green cross painted on his back. It was a signature of the white supremacist group, the skinheads, who target people of color. My parents made themselves a life in Russia and had their own small business, which was one of the few that survived the fall of Soviet Union. They couldn't leave everything and decided to persevere, but... Then Mamun went missing. We searched everywhere, prisons, parks, and morgues to no avail. 
the police would not help us, so Mama hired a private investigator who found Mamun in a psychic ward. Turned out, skinheads bribed doctors to drug him, hold him there against his will, and test medication on him. We could not get him out because of how corrupt the system was. Even his resistance was presented by the ward doctors as indication of the severity of his disease. I remember seeing him, a skeleton wrapped in skin. His mouth hung slightly open, and he stared back at me with hollow eyes as I fought the urge to cry. Fear smelled of vomit and antiseptic. Countless legal fights later, we were able to get him out in critical condition and move to a proper hospital. Months prior, Mama booked a holiday trip around Canada and back for herself, Milana, and I as a way to celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. She was conflicted about leaving my brother just when brother just got out of the hospital but decided that it would be a needed break for us. We left while Papa stayed home and looked after my brother who developed schizophrenia and severe obsessive compulsive disorder as a result of trauma and abuse he endured. Malena, I'd like to thank you so much for sharing your work with us. I know it takes a lot for somebody to write about their past, especially if it had events that are not that pleasant. And thank you so much for broadening our perspective, expanding our horizon, because typically you would hear the word refugee and you would think about war, about camps, about tents, about so many images that come to mind. But your story helps us that it's more than that. So thank you so much for helping us expanding our horizon on what it means to be a refugee. I want you to next share with us, how did you escape all of that and come to Canada? I know that it was your mother's decision because she realized that this was not any good for her daughters, especially with your brother going missing, his back. And she made one decision that changed the family and that brought you to Canada. Tell me about that trip that changed your life. Thank you, Mohammed. That's a great question. Coming to Canada was never our intention. We were planning this trip as a way to get out of this mentality and this awful situation that we came to, but we were never planning on migrating. My mother planned this trip as a 10-day holiday around the West Coast and back. We took a cruise ship that was going from New York to Quebec and then back. In the middle of the trip in Quebec, my mom called home and my father said that the police were shooting at our windows where my sister and I slept. And if we were there, we would have been dead. My mom sat us down and said to pack only the most precious of our belongings because we were not coming home. I couldn't believe it at first, but I saw how shaken she was. So we did everything that was asked of us. We packed our stuff and we made our bags as small as possible. So we put as many layers on ourselves of clothing as we could. We walked out with other tourists and ran. We didn't have any money for a long trip, so we bought a bus ticket with the Greyhound buses as far away as we could go so the police wouldn't look for us and put us back on the ship, which turned out to be to Vancouver. So it was a three-day and night trip on the bus with barely any food, barely sleep, and when we got off, we did not speak the language. Our feet were bruised and we had no money, but with the help of selfless strangers, we found a new home and a name that would follow us for the next eight years, refugees. Wow, 
the first interaction you had with Canada was the fact that police were looking for you. We're looking for a mother and two kids. I am really amazed by your mother and her courage and her resilience and how she made a split second decision to save her life and her family's life. But the translation of that, you found yourself in a city that is on the other end of the country. The police is looking for you. You are titled refugees. The only thing you had was the kindness of Canadians. And one of the things that resonated and made me think about my own story of coming to Canada is what you said about how the help actually came from Canadians and from people. It didn't come from the government. It came from nonprofit organizations. It didn't come from nonprofit organizations only, but it came from the volunteers of these organizations. And your story helped me realize that actually the government nonprofit organizations, all of these are vehicles for actually for Canadians to contribute and to welcome newcomers here in Canada. Although it's not perfect, and there is a lot to talk about that maybe later today in our conversation, but would you tell us more about that and how did Canada and Canadians help you find some safety to start and to begin a new life? How was that like finding home far away from what used to be home? Great question. I remember my mother being so apprehensive coming here. She was horrified of anyone who wasn't family and we had no one here. And there were all those people who were without knowing us, without knowing our intentions, just willing to give their trust, the money, places to stay just to someone they just met. It was such a crazy concept in Russia because growing up there, we did not get any help. And here we were, absolutely no one. And we got help, more help in a foreign country than we did back home. When we came, we were offered a place to stay, which is a refugee organization called Kimbrace, who were providing everything from shelter to translators, to schools, to food banks. And we got a food bank card, and my sister and I went to a local school, Britannia Secondary, in the east side. And we were met with all of those people of different shapes and sizes, different colors and ethnicities who did not care where we came from or what we had to offer. They just wanted us to be safe. And I just remember my mother slowly opening up to them and she always felt like she has to give something back. So she kept making those handmade gifts at every occasion. And I remember my sister and I being so embarrassed because we didn't have to give anything, but she just always felt like there had to be something in exchange for the help. It took us years to realize that people can just be kind to someone else just for the sake of helping. And as you said, it was volunteers and it was the nonprofit organizations who were being good people just for the sake of it. And I feel like that made the biggest impact on us as a family coming here. Thank you so much for sharing. Moving on, I'd like to talk still more about that part of your life, that part of your journey, because I know that you found yourself in a position where you were at the head of the ship. Like if you, if we're talking about a ship that is sailing, you were at the first point of that ship leading the way, the ship being your family. And it was darkness all around you, a new language, new neighborhood, a new culture. As we said, somewhat relatively safe, it gives you an opportunity for a start, 
But personally speaking, Melena was responsible for figuring out everything, not just for herself, but for her family. And that led you to a lot of successes in life because you were able to learn yourself. And later on, you made a name for yourself. But as you share with us in your story, that comes with a personal cost. And that's what I want to talk about. The concept of mental illness, self-care, the concept of one's self, I would say. Because generally speaking, you and I come from cultures where we care about the collective culture. And the last thing we think about is ourselves. And individuality is not something that we are aware of or we care about. Now you are here almost 10 years after coming to Canada, after you received that help to start your life here. Where did it take you? And what was the challenges of, you know, not the language or meeting friends and or like these things that are obvious? What does it really mean to move to a new place? And before you answer, I'd like to quote you, being an immigrant came with issues no one warned you about. Tell us more about those issues. Thank you. Yes, being an immigrant came with issues no one warned me about. There's, of course, as you said, the obvious ones, the cultural differences, the language barrier. There's also the subtle ones. Nobody taught my father that he was supposed to bring flowers to my graduation. And it's such a small thing that will stick with me because it just shows the subtle things that we don't know until people like me have to face it. And I just remember the year after when my sister graduated, we had all these, we had five bouquets just to make sure that she doesn't have to be embarrassed in front of her classmates. And I remember at basketball games, all these parents giving rides to their kids and my mother couldn't drive. She didn't even know the words to the national anthem that played before the games. And I just remember, like teens always are, I was so embarrassed and I am mad at myself for it now. But coming to Canada, I was the main translator for my family and I was the one my mom put as a main contact for lawyers and for all the legal questions, even though I didn't understand half of what they meant. And that's what forced me to learn the language so quickly and become the writer in the first place. But I never asked myself whether it's good for me or not, because mental health is not a thing in Russia. You are either normal or you are crazy. And I did not realize how quickly I slipped into depression. I didn't know what post-traumatic stress disorder was until my teacher got me to go to see a counselor because I stopped talking in class and I stopped participating. And that's when I found out. And there was just all this growth I had to go through that did not involve me supporting other people, but involved me supporting myself. And I just felt like it was such a selfish thing to do at the time because there were all these appointments and hearings we had to attend. And I hid everything from mom and I started self-harming in my room and she never knew about it. And I just spiraled into that self-sabotage and I barely got myself out of it. And what helped me was sport. And sport got me through a lot of it and helped me make a name for myself here. And that's what gave me the scholarships to go to college. 
and helped me pave the way through the dark for my younger sister to follow because I had no one to use as an example in this country. I didn't know how things work. I didn't know how to graduate. I didn't have any other choices besides working two to three part-time jobs and leaving home at five in the morning for work, then going to practice and to school and back to practice and coming home at 10 to do it all over again the next day. And it took a lot of failure for me to realize that I need to take a break and live for myself for once. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, it's really hard for a person to be transparent and share these kind of details. And I personally hear you because I have similar experiences where things look perfect from the outside, but the reality is so messy. And I am so proud of you for realizing that all of this came at an expense of your own health. And I'm proud of you for sharing this on our show today with our listeners, because I'm very sure that a lot of people who have busy lives, who are always smiling, are doing it at their own cost of their own mental health, just because it's not a conversation that is ongoing in our cultures. One thing that you said in our, your written work is that you don't see in, in your country of birth, you don't see Putin talks about anxiety on TV, for example. And similarly, you don't see the dictator of my country, Bashar al-Assad, talking about anything that is in the favor of the people. Now, where I would like to take this conversation is to one very important thing, a realization that you came to when you said, quote unquote, maybe it's not a curse. Maybe it's a blessing. Maybe depression was my mentor that helped you learn valuable lessons in life. And I'm loosely quoting you here. I personally would say the same, and I would like for you to share some insights about this part of the experience. Thank you so much for your kind words. I completely agree. I feel like just because I grew up not knowing about mental health doesn't mean that it's not a problem in those countries. It's such a big part of everyone's reality, whether they realize it or not. And my journey helped me be more empathetic towards others and helped me find my true calling, which is listening to other people's stories and amplifying their voices. And I feel like therapy can do so much for people. And that is why I went into psychology at my college. And I'm hoping to graduate on to become a clinical psychologist and listen to others, especially immigrants who often don't know how their journeys can impact their health and the health of their families. And it just helped me have a whole different perspective on what I was going through and how it affected me and that maybe depression has been a blessing after all. And without it, I would not have been in this position and I wouldn't be as motivated to help others the same way that I've been helped in the past. Thank you so much for sharing this valuable lesson. The importance of prioritizing the mental health and well-being of the self over the expectations of others is a great lesson that I learned from meeting you and from reading about your story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Melena, you felt like no one when you came to Canada. You were a lost tourist who escaped the cruise ship from Quebec. You found yourself a lost kid here in East Vancouver. And here you are 
almost 10 years later, reflecting on this whole journey. Your story helped me to realize that there is no such thing as the perfect happy ending. The narrative that people who come to Canada end up living happily after is not the complete reality. In fact, moving to Canada is a start for a new challenging era. What do you have to say for other newcomers who are dealing with their own struggles? That's a great question. I feel like the top three things that I wish every immigrant and newcomer knew is that the first one, there is no perfect narrative of how to be a refugee, how to be an immigrant. There is not a food bank card and a shelter doesn't solve all of your problems. So you shouldn't feel pressure to pretend to be happy with where you are at the moment because there is still a lot of growth to be done. And the second one to take care of yourself because once you get here, the work is not done. Even if you are safe physically, you need to make sure that your mental health is in the right place. So no matter where you come from, don't be afraid to ask for help because there's no shame in that. And the third one is to check up on your loved ones because I wish that I asked my family more how they're doing as well because we were so busy with trying to make it here that a lot of us neglected our mental health and our well-being emotionally. So just check up on each other and being kind might just change someone's life for the better and motivate them to pay it forward. And it always ends well when you're not afraid to put a little extra kindness out. Thank you so much for sharing. I really, really appreciate it. And I would like to thank you on behalf of all our listeners. My last question is about the right now and the future. I want you to share with us here on the show, what are your dreams for the future? Where do you see yourself in a few years? And I want you to maybe in doing that, reflect on inclusion and what does it mean to be Canadian One of the things that resonated with me is uh, something that you said about no matter how long you live here, at the end of the day, you will always say numbers in Russian. And that happens to me all the time. (laughs) Whenever there is a number, I memorize it in Arabic. And (laughs) thank you so much for that. But uh, yeah, please uh, share with us about your dreams and hopes for the future. Thank you. And you're completely right. One of my biggest dreams, to be completely honest, is to one day go back and just say goodbye to my home, because that's how I always will see it as home. And I feel like home doesn't have to be just one place. And now I have so many different meanings for what that place is. And I will always memorize numbers in Russian, and I will always prefer some Russian songs to a lot of English ones. But after I make peace with Russia, I want to move on by, again, helping others overcome their personal challenges in therapy, in, by volunteering, by writing. And if my writing can motivate others to share their stories, then everything I've been through is so worth it. And opportunities like this are such an important step for me. So thank you so much. That means a lot. Sure. Finally, can you share with us more about how the process of writing helped you articulate your story and what value did you find in writing? Please tell us and share with us here on the show today 
how did arts in general help you find some therapy? Thank you so much. I feel like, yes, I was so grateful to be able to go into arts. I've always liked drawing as a child and doodling has been a huge coping mechanism for me growing up. So I was always known as the artsy kid, even in Vancouver. And I got into poetry recently and I was very grateful when my poem resonated with others. I wrote one about me walking off the ship and that one got a poem of the month in my college. And I remember a girl from my class coming up to me who was also an immigrant. And I was just so baffled because she was crying. And she just said that her mother came here from Syria and she showed the poem to her. And it began a whole conversation about immigration that they haven't had before. And I'm just grateful that arts and poetry and writing have been a huge help for me, as well as basketball. I was also very grateful to get into sports in Canada. And I feel like trying different things, especially artistically, could be therapeutic for many. And I strongly recommend it. Malena Mokelkova, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for being the guest of episode five of the Global Migration Podcast. On behalf of all our listeners, thank you. Thank you so much. This is Mohamed Saleh, and you've been listening to episode five of the season two of the Global Migration Podcast. This podcast is available thanks to the support of UBC Center for Migration Studies. I thank them so much for their support. Thanks to our guest, Malena, and thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. This episode was recorded over Zoom on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Salatooth nations. To support the book project behind this podcast, you can find a GoFundMe campaign link in the description. See you again next week.